You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. My graduates from my school being Forbes. Backdrop. Backdrop. <laughs> a mic drop. Backdrop. Backdrop. All right, guys, welcome back. EYL Atlanta headquarters. This is going to be a special episode for a variety of different reasons. But, you know, we travel around a lot. And uh, one of my favorite things to do when I travel is to eat. I'm a foodie. Even though I'm a pescatarian, I don't eat a lot of food. But I do enjoy food. And I definitely love southern cuisine, soul food. (laughs) Very important to me. Uh So when we went to Houston... They told us. I'm not even sure how we actually got turned on to it. Yeah, I think we visited the first time we went to Houston. And um, I think maybe Chris Senegal was like. Chris Senegal, that's what we're like, yeah, 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 We got to yeah. check out this restaurant. And we pulled up to it. And the line was three blocks long. And we're like, uh, nah, we can't wait in no line. We, we're, not, we're not fans of, of doing lines. And so this time, nothing was the same. Chris, Chris, <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Chris. He made the phone call. He was like, I'm taking you out to the breakfast club. The. Yeah. Breakfast Club. Eat Breakfast Club. My man. Very important. My man. So uh, Marcus Davis, the owner of the Breakfast Club, was actually there when we was eating. And we had like 30 people with us. And they was, you know, scarfing down their food. Service was immaculate. Yes. The food came out within five minutes. It was crazy. Never seen anything like it. within that, he came, he introduced himself, and we had a conversation. And we were talking about a lot of things in business, real estate play. And then they were educating me like how he's more than just a restaurateur. He's an investor. He's a businessman. He does a lot of different things. So... Mm -hmm. Um, when it's, I'm like, we should definitely interview him. Yeah. So, you know, put the request in, could we get the interview? And uh, made it happen. We got, get a, today. I got a text message. <laughs> I said, all right, let's do it. I mean, and we talk about a lot about people, you know, investing in their communities. Right, a lot right. of people talking about buying back the block. And we spoke about that with Chris. Yeah. And we didn't know that it was also happening in other ways, right? So, like the restaurant business, the after, after night, uh, light, nightlife business, it's a different way to own a block. Um, so it's going to be an interesting story, man. Yeah. Historic one. A historic one. <laughs> one for the ages. Yes. So this is going to be dope. We're going to talk about the restaurant business. We're going to talk about real estate. We're going to talk about branding, trademarks, all of the above. So first and foremost, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Man, thank you for having me, brother. I am excited to be here with y'all. I appreciate the invitation and uh, appreciate the opportunity. No, all good. All and, good. And, and more importantly, man, I'm, I'm as I told, look... <laughs> <laughs> As I told you when I when I saw you, you came to the restaurant and I shook your hand like I was you know, your uncle shaking you. <laughs> I was like, "Hey, man, how you doing? Y'all doing? Y'all good? Good?" He looked at me like, "Hey," <laughs> but I was just genuinely excited, man, to see y'all because I was genuinely excited about you know this 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 movement that 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 y'all have been uh, on the forefront of changing the dialogue in the barbershop and 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 beyond. No, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, all right, so let's get into this. So you've built 
a nice portfolio for yourself in the restaurant. I believe right. you have four storefront properties, right? And then you have a uh, a restaurant inside the airport, inside the airport, yeah. Which that I'm sure is a money maker. And then you have real estate plays as well. So, right. How? What was your your starting point into getting into the restaurant business? So my my starting point for getting into the restaurant business, man, goes back to when I was a kid. My my father, who was a huge inspiration in my life. Um, he was an educator by profession, but he was uh, passionate about two things, and he was damn good at both of them. One was music. He was a musician, and the other was food, you know, best cook I ever met. And he was the person that was responsible for showing me how to create spaces where people uh, enjoy themselves. So when you say, to, you know, ask me, what do I do? I create spaces that facilitate memories and moments of fellowship. And that came from my father, you know, putting food on the stove and inviting folks over. And, you know, the laughter that that occurs in your house uh, from folks enjoying themselves. And that, that was my entrance into the food business. He had a, a, side, a side catering business. First place I got hired. First place I got fired. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Very important. Both, yeah. Are, both are important. Yeah. 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 Pops, pops, pops fired me. So he had his catering business. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, he. Um, he did weddings and banquets and things like that. And so he would bring my brothers and I to go and work the events and uh, working the event meant working the front side and the back side. The back side was all the prep work. Uh, the front side was putting on our bow ties and combo bonds and serving. So one day um, I was slacking just a little bit and he told me, he warned me, he said, Hey, uh, you keep slacking. You're not going to make the trip, which was, which was kind of devastating because my cousins and my brothers, it was fun, but we also made money. He paid us. Mm. Yeah, I didn't make that trip. He told me I had to sit this one out. Mm. So, yeah, he fired me. I got him, I got him backed up, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so you said your dad was uh, educated by trade? He was educated by, yeah. And I know you were educated by trade. Sure. So I get this question a lot. Yeah. And it's like, Troy, I know you were a teacher. I know you were yeah. teaching. Obviously, you were a history teacher. They ask me all the time, like, when did you know it was time to transition? How was that transition? So what was that like for you going from the classroom or were you doing both at the same time? So, uh, no, I wasn't doing both at the same time. The, the, the difference for me was I was in food before I went into education. Gotcha. Uh, I worked, I, you know, after my father, I started working in food when I was 15, worked in fast food, worked my way up from, you know, fries to, you know, sandwiches to cashier to night manager to day manager, so on and so real, forth. Real uh, coming to America. Yeah, yeah, the whole, the whole shebang. And worked my way all the way to, you know, a nice position in the corporate office. Uh, with the corporate house, I should say I was a troubleshooter for a particular region. But nonetheless, uh, when I when I left the company, mm-hmm. I said, well, what am I going to do now? And I started teaching school. I went to the family business. Mom and dad, both 30 year educators. So I went into the family business. But to answer your question about when did I know it was time to go? I knew it was time to go when uh, that that dis-ease started to set in. Right. Mm-hmm. Where I was not. um comfortable where I was and I knew I was supposed to be somewhere else and uh there was a moment oh speaking of real estate <clears throat> this I <clears throat> this I found the location for the breakfast club I was dabbling in real estate right when I left corporate I left for a six-figure job and so when I went into teaching you know it wasn't a six-figure job so I had to find a way to <laughs> I had to find a way to uh to, to subsidize my income. And I, and I had to find a way to fulfill that, that entrepreneur in me. So I started dabbling in real estate, buying a little piece of property, putting my plan together on how many 
uh, little townhomes or condos I was going to build and how big I wanted the portfolio to be by the time I got to this age and when I could retire and so on and so forth. Because if I was going to be in education, you know, I had to have something to do. Yeah. But I'm going through the newspaper and as I'm going through the newspaper uh, looking for spots, I found a, a spot for a restaurant. Uh, and it kind of piqued my interest, drove down and looked at it, talked to the lady, left work on my lunch break, talked to the lady about the spot, told her I'd be back tomorrow, went back to my office, pulled out a uh, legal pad and wrote my resignation. I knew the minute I walked in that building and saw that space, I went, I went back to, to the office, pulled out a, a yellow notepad and I wrote my resignation because, uh, you know, I saw the spot and I knew that it matched where I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. As much, don't get me wrong, I love the kids, right? I, lo- I loved yeah. teaching, right? But, but, but I knew, you know, deep down inside that, that you know, restaurant was what, I, what, what my passion was. And I knew deep down inside that I was, I was an entrepreneur. And I can't cage an entrepreneur. So when you, you said something interesting during that, you said it wasn't where you were comfortable. Comfortable in terms of finance or was it comfortable... I'm not in my purpose. I, I'm, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Okay. I know I'm supposed to be somewhere else. And uh, I, I had to get to it. You know, like I said, <clears throat> I knew I, I knew I loved teaching and I knew I loved the kids. Uh, and as much as I thought about it as a career, the entrepreneur in me knew that I was I had to be back out there mm. uh, just because, the, you know, you, 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 that ADHD comes sets in and you can't sit still. You got to. You know, you got to give birth. Uh, you're dealing with labor pains. Look, I tell you, after I wrote that resignation, that wasn't that wasn't the highlight of the story. It was a two year drought before I actually got to open the restaurant uh, and the time I quit my job. So I went through a whole lot of, you know, showing up from my mama house. You know, baby, don't you think you ought to go back and get you? <laughs> <laughs> Man, look, that over those two years, my nickname had become Marcus going to open a restaurant. Davis. That's what the fellas called me behind my back. Right. And, and, and it was it was so crazy. I was I was out one day and I went and hollered at the fellas. What's up, man? What's up? We talk and you turn your back and you walk away. And when you turn your back and you walk away and you hear a loud laughter. What does that mean? They're laughing at you. They're laughing at you. Yeah. Right. And so uh, I just took it grain of salt and kept and kept it moving because I knew what I was going to do. Right. I knew it was taking a long time. You know, I quit my job 18 months before uh, and it ain't looking so great. I've been turned down by. Bank after bank, investor group after investor group. But I still believed in the picture that I saw the day I walked into that building. So how much did you buy the building for when you purchased it? Man. Um, so that's a whole nother story. Because the original deal that we had ended up falling through. Right? Because it was something we had in like a quarter of a million dollars uh, to in, in, order, in order to get that building. But because... Uh, all the pieces didn't fall in together, and up being twice as much. So yeah, that eighteen months—that's got to be tough, right? You you, you left a, a position, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now you're going to banks, but you don't have income to show them that I you can income. get. So how are you approaching the bank, saying that yeah, I need this loan when you don't have the income to show them that you can pay it back? Because I had a great idea. Mm. That, that's what I'm telling the banks. Now, look, here, here's one thing that 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 I, I, I want to share. Right. One, obviously, generational wealth in African-American community doesn't exist the way it could or should or will in the future after EYL is done with what, doing what they're doing. But the the idea that we didn't have my father didn't have money to pass down 
uh, I, I found the things that he did pass down, right? Uh, my father instilled three great things into me. One was uh, save your money, you know, be a saver. Mm. Uh, two was because he didn't know how to he didn't know how to invest. Two was keep your credit clean, and then the third one was know how to brush your ass. You got to work hard, and so those three things paid off for me. And so when I went to the bank, I had a seven hundred credit score. Mm-hmm. Right when I went to the bank, I did have some money stocked up gotcha. in my savings account, uh, but it still wasn't enough for them. Mm-hmm. It still wasn't enough for them. They still, they still rejected me. They still turned me down. And here's the crazy part. They were turning me down because restaurant has such a high failure rate. Right. And I heard that speech over and over and over again. I got tired of hearing. Uh, I got so tired of hearing. I, I went to find out. I said, let me find out what is it that makes, because I'm sensitive. This is my industry. And why are y'all saying my industry has such a high failure rate? And I boiled it down to a couple of things. One is lack of capitalization, right? A lot of restaurants fail because they they start out underfunded. Second one is a lot of people go into this business because it's sexy and they don't have the experience, the know-how to work in this business. So my approach to the bank turned different. I started going into the bank and told them I had done my research on, you know, why they were failing. Funding and experience. And I said, look, I got 11 years in this business. I've, you know, turned P&Ls from losing $250,000 for a company to making that store profitable. So I got 11 years in this business and you got a tank of money back there. We can solve this problem. You can just give me some of it so I can open the restaurant. <laughs> yeah, he, 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 wasn't, he wasn't buying it. He, he wasn't having it. Yeah. So, how did, so eventually a bank loans you money. How'd you get the money to actually? Now, eventually a, fr- a family friend. The most common way entrepreneurs, African-American, get funded is that family friend loan. And a family friend uh, who knew that I was on now a 24-month journey. And uh, I was at, we were at a gathering. And, and uh, his wife walked in and said, are you still trying to open your restaurant? I said, yes. Mama was a nickname. Yeah, I guess my mom still. Well, you need to go in there and talk to Papa. I went in there and talked to Papa. I sat down, showed him my plan. Uh, he agreed to meet me at the location. We met at the location. And uh, he wrote me a check. Not what, a big check. Yeah. What, what did you see? Like, check. So when you saw it two years ago, yeah. you said you walked in and you knew it was yeah. just the place it had to be. What were the characteristics that you saw that you said, so, this is going to be the place? Here's, here, one, of the, one of the common questions that I get on Saturday morning, Sunday morning, when the place is bumping, as you said, lying three blocks up the street, I'm often asked, and this is, this is a point that, that, that you know, entrepreneurs have to, have to get. Um, lines out the door. Places bumping, and I get called over to the table, and they say, "Baby, let me ask you a question. Did you ever think that this? Yes, I did. It got so it got so common that I started answering it before. And the reason I started doing that was because I wanted them to understand the power of vision, right? So when I took that exit, I saw something completely different than the dilapidated building that sat there. Mm-hmm. It was run down." was unattractive. It was in a desolate area, but that's not what I saw. Right. I saw this nice aesthetic. I saw this nice, bright yellow building. I saw on the inside where the dusty tables and chairs were and the torn out ceiling. I saw, uh, you know, nice mahogany wood with colorful walls and paintings on the wall. And I saw people sitting in there and I heard Miles Davis. I heard John Coltrane playing 
So my response to that is, yes, I, I did think it was going to happen. I saw you here before you got here. Mm-hmm. And so I share with, with, with and so you asked about the, that 24 months. The reason that vision is so important was because after being turned down by bank after bank and investor group after investor group, the only thing I had to hold on to was the picture that I had in my head. And that's what kept me sane at night. And that's what kept me hopeful in the daytime. Hennessy celebrates those who never stop and never settle in their never-ending pursuit of greatness. Maurice Ashley lives this passion. Through his love of chess, he made history in 1999 as the world's first black grandmaster, an inspiring story of intellect and brilliance. His ability to push the potential of his own mind to new levels of greatness is universally inspiring. Visit www.hennessy.com to learn more about Maurice Ashley. In the world of the mind, there are no limits. Hennessy. Never stop, never settle. 21 and over, please drink responsibly. So moving along, as far as the business is successful, obviously you've been in business for two decades. But you said one of the main reasons why restaurants fail is because cash flow and um, not being properly funded. Right. Because it's ups and downs, right? Right, right, right. And, you know, you have to pay your staff no matter what. You have to pay your your chef no matter what. You got to pay the light bill no matter what. But you might have a bad week or you right. might have, you know, some downturns. You might have bad weather. How have you been able to beat those um, obstacles and still be profitable for 20 years? Man, look, uh, I tell you, one, when I started the business, I made sure that I had money saved up. Right. I said I want to ma- make sure I have at least six months of rent in the bank. Right. And I want to have some payroll stacked up because I didn't want it to run in week to week. And I had already you know, agreed what I was going to personally contribute to, to, to the business. Um, and, that, and, that, and that went well for a while. Uh, but I did, I, did run into, uh, I did run into a wall at one point, kind of like the moment we're having right now, right? 2006, yeah, think about it. 2006, uh, gas went up. Mm-hmm. Right? The last two years of Bush, uh, I'm not blaming him. I'm just giving you know, time frame. <laughs> last two years of Bush, gas went up. And the price of food shot up, skyrocketed. It was the highest food had been since the 1980s, mm-hmm. right? So we had these transportation surcharges, right? <laughs> we, had, we had food that cost that was outrageous. Uh, and the problem I ran into is that I couldn't move my prices up fast enough. And I'll never forget, man, I'm having, I'm having you know, uh, a moment. Because this is, this, is, this is when I think, oh, man, I've been successful for five or six years and it's about to, something's about to happen. And man, I called uh, one of my mentors who had been in business for 30 years, French's Chicken. They have a, you know, that, that long-standing chicken business in, in the city of Houston. And next time y'all come, we got to take you and get some French. Gotta go there. Gotta go. Okay. okay. Gotta go. <laughs> so uh, I called him and I said, hey, I, I want to talk to you because I don't know how to figure this out. And he came in and it was a five minute conversation. It was less than that. He walked in. He said, first of all, stop all that goddamn crying. I can't hear what you're saying over there. I'm I'm keeping it real. I'm I'm keeping it real. If you haven't had some long nights and days as an entrepreneur, uh, you know, hey, yay for you. But they come. They happen. And so uh, he said, you know, this is what you need to do. And he looked at the menu and he had me make the price adjustment. I said, Mr. Mr. King, I can't I can't make the adjustments that quick. Because I'm going to run people away. He said, if you don't, they're going to run away anyway. Right. Because your door is going to be closed. Mm. So I learned a valuable lesson going back to what you're saying. So I from from that day forward, I never priced a grit or a piece of chicken based on today. 
I always priced it based on tomorrow. And then I moved from pricing it for tomorrow to moving it to next month and next year. And today I tell entrepreneurs, do not be afraid to price for being in business next week, next month and next year. Don't get caught where you have to catch up. And there's a whole lot to not pricing for today. Right. There's a lot to it. It's a lot to pricing for tomorrow. That means not just having payroll, not just having rent, but it also means making sure that you have uh, the right uh, insurance policy for when you have things like hurricanes. We have a little thing called hurricanes down in Houston. Right. Yeah, yeah. Making sure that you have the right attorney on on retainer. Because the insurance company ain't going to want to give you the money that they're supposed to give you. And you got to go and fight them, making sure that you have the right CPA where your books are in order so that uh, when the disaster relief come, you can just pick up the phone or shoot an email to your CPA and say, hey, they say they need this. Send it over to them. Right. So all of those things come into play. And the, the other one, which is probably one of the most important, if there's more one more important than the other, is cash reserves. Making sure that you price so that you can save money. And if you price where you can save money, when the days come where ain't no business, when the weeks come where, uh, you know, sales are low, when the months come where there's a pandemic or an ice storm or what have you, you can keep the ship afloat during that time. And so that that's how I've been able to over the last two decades do that is make sure that we price accordingly. And make sure we do the right thing with the resources that we are keeping in reserve. So when you say don't price your food for today, price it for tomorrow, price it for next year. Food costs. We interviewed an entrepreneur that was in the restaurant business early on. And he was talking about food costs. He was right. the first person to actually explain and broke down right. food costs. But he was like the average entrepreneur. They selling fish sandwiches for five dollars. And he's asking him why. And he's like, I just think it costs. It should cost five dollars. Yeah. He's like, oh, that's not really a set science of how to actually price it. Like, so can you explain like how you evaluate food costs and what do you mean by price it for next year? Price it for, you know. So yeah, so there are rules in restaurant, right? You you know you have a certain percentage that labor should be at. Some people say, oh, we're gonna be at about you know twenty eight, twenty five percent labor. Say, oh, we're gonna be at about fourteen, fifteen percent uh, food costs. Or so your rent. Uh, and those expenses should be no more than 8%. You know, different people have different theories on those numbers, but they, they fall within a, a similar range, right? Um, the, 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 the science behind what, what, what you're asking about is making sure that you're not j- just trying to hit that number, but that you're actually having enough to, okay, my, my, my general counsel costs X amount a year, right? Which is X amount a month. Right. So I got to make sure that I got enough to cover that. My my insurance policy costs this much. I got to make sure I have enough to cover that. So whereas you may go in and do the pricing just to hit that percent, but then you also go in and price so that you can cover those additional costs. One of the things he talked about, too, is obviously when you build an establishment. Yeah. Um, built by somebody that looks like us is hiring people that look like us. Right. And so I wonder, obviously, everything that you just named, you've been through a pandemic. Right. You've oh, been man. through natural disasters. Yeah. You've been through food prices going up. How has staffing been for you? Right. Having people to come in and go out that look like us. Because when we came, it was like, damn, everybody's happy to be here. Has that always been the case? Or is that something that was trial and error and you had to figure it out how to, how to get so, people that look so, like us? So those, those, are, those are two separate things. Right. One, one uh, staffing like staffing right now is incredibly tough because. Uh, the, 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 the country shifted, right? Mm-hmm. The world shifted. Right. And, and for those entrepreneurs who don't know it, it's not going to shift back. So get out of that 
thought about, you know, is when things get back to where they were, it's not going back to where they were throughout the history of the world. When major shifts happen, they don't just go back. They go back 10 percent, 15 percent, 20 percent, but they never go back 100 percent. Mm-hmm. Right. So we won't get back to what we were doing as a restaurant uh, or as a country. Right. From from restaurants to to, you know, Fortune 500s. Nobody is going back to get, you know, they had a million square feet of, of, of office space. Right. And when the pandemic hit, they realized I don't need a million square feet of office space. I only need 100,000 or 500,000. So they're not going to go back and get that million. Mm-hmm. Similarly, in every business, there's something that's not going to change. It's going to it's, it's change forever. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, but but in terms of people, uh, you know, it takes time to build a staff. Right. And building a staff, you said everybody was happy. Building a staff uh, means building a culture, setting a standard, setting expectations and holding people to those standards and expectations. Right. So I don't I personally don't do I, you know, I hire managers, but I don't personally hire day to day. My managers do that. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, the, they're, they're charged with making sure that people who apply for this job, understanding where they're coming to work and understanding who you're working for. Right. Uh, when I did when I did interviews, I, it was it was cold, but it was but it was it was real. I, you know, somebody come in and say, I want to work here. And, you know, we got articles on the wall and. I would point to him. I say, look, you see all those articles on the wall? It's like, yeah, we have that already. We're known from the Pacific to the Atlantic. What are you adding to this? Right. What are you bringing to the table? And not only what are you adding to this? How can I trust you with these people who come in and inspect those things? So it's, a, it's, it's about setting the standard, making sure people understand uh, the, the, the place that you work. You know, I was saying that at, at, at at the restaurant is the TBK way. This is who we are. This is what we're about. This is what we do. And these are the things that we do not do. Mm. So you talked about hiring employees. We're in an era where it's the great resignation. Yeah. And even now for jobs like, you know, for restaurants, things of that nature, they can't fill them. Right. Like right. those, like jobs that's not paying a lot of money that require not a lot of skill set. They're saying it's extremely hard to fill those jobs right now. Right. Like even for young people, they're just not working. I'm not really sure why, right. but they can't fill those jobs. So how have you been able to keep a staff and how have you been able to, you know, handle during that time? Or has it affected you? Oh, yeah. I mean, yes. I, I, I don't know anybody that hadn't been affected. How have I been able to handle it? One, I'm fortunate to have had long term team members. Right. I've got folks that have been with me four, five, seven, ten. 15 years. Right. So I have a core group and the goal is to just build around that core group. The core group understands who we are, what we're about. They understand the TBK way and they have a responsibility of making sure that the people that 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 come aboard uh, protect who we are, and what we're about. And that's, you know, one of the things I, I share with my team is, you know, I'm I'm quick to tell a team member, how this is impacting you. You think that Johnny not doing what he's supposed to do just affects Johnny, then you're sorely mistaken. If you as a teammate don't hold your teammate responsible for running the ball, for running the play, shooting the shot, for, you know, running the play the way we're supposed to run it, then we don't score. And once you communicate that to them, then they start to take ownership. Additionally, 
uh, you know, my team understands I'm I'm here with y'all right now. I didn't I haven't I haven't fried a, a wing or stirred a grit in quite some time now. And I make sure that they understand that when people show up for three block long lines, that they're coming to see the work that they are producing. Mm-hmm. It's not the work that I'm producing. Right. And so I get I, I get them to take ownership and pride in the work that they're doing, that people are coming and waiting and standing in line that they heard about. They're coming to see what you did. Yeah. So show up, show out. Yeah. So that, let's talk about that. So yeah. obviously these lines, every time we go, yeah, but it, <laughs> they came because they heard y'all was coming. <laughs> I, I put it Perhaps. out there. I was like, EYL is coming. Yeah. There's a rumor that they're in town. Life is dope. I do dope shit. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm, did it always start that way? And, and what was the marketing behind it to make, oh, it right? So because <laughs> you're talking about 20 years in business yeah. to have that type of reception. When, I mean, it's yeah. a landmark now when we go to Houston. Right. They're saying we have to go there. Right. You have to go there. And so what was the marketing behind it to get people to, to come? Well, we know what it wasn't, right? It wasn't Twitter. Right. It wasn't Facebook. Nope. Right. It wasn't Instagram. Right. I like I like to brag a little bit. Right. I like yeah. to tell these young cats, hey, that's cute what you're doing. I like it. Keep doing it. But I did it before we could reach, you know, people across the country with a single stroke of, of a thumb. Right. Right. And so, man, it was straight up guerrilla marketing, bro. It was straight. It was straight up guerrilla, guerrilla. My first day opening, I had a habit of getting out in the street. My first day opening, this is true. So this is what I did. I had flyers because I didn't have I didn't remember. I told you that my, my family friend loaned some money. Right. It was 10 percent of, of what I had projected this to be. Right? I built I put up, you know, a two hundred two hundred fifty thousand uh, dollar project cost. Right. And we started with 10 percent of that, if that. Right. So there was no money to do the build out. There was no money for this major marketing plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, the build out was done by me and my friends, me and my homeboys. Right. I got a picture in my office of me and my mother building a table together. Mm. Uh, a picture in my office of me and my homeboy painting a, a wall together. Right. I'm, and I'm, I'm I'm sure that y'all have had times where, you know, people kick in and, and for the cause. Right. And so that that's how it started. So we didn't have the marketing budget. So I had, you know, I remember my business plan, business plan, important. Uh, I remember my business plan um, talking about, you know, advertising on the radio, advertising in the newspaper, how much I was going to do that. Uh, that. All of that was a wash. Mm. What I what I had to do to start this thing was um, I, pr- I printed up these flyers. And at the corner of Alabama and Travis, I picked this location because when you come off the highway, it's the entryway into downtown. And so uh, when when people would stop at the light, I would go to their car and panhandle, <laughs> try to sell them some grits. I'm sh- I'm shoving flyers in 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 your wonder, in your wonder, in your wonder. And I'm you know I dart across the street before uh, before the light changed. Then from there, I went back in the restaurant and I gathered these. Uh, um, my nickname was the Muffin Man in, in the in the neighborhood, right in the in the in Midtown, because I would get these muffins and I would go from business to business, knock on the door, and then introduce myself, right, and drop off some muffins so they can know who we are. Left a little something, something for. Them. So I mean that 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 was that was honestly the organic. Uh, it, it was a lot of grit. It was a lot of grind. And he, here's the thing. So, yes, we have Instagram today and we use it. Yes, we have Facebook today and we use it. Yes, we have Twitter and we use it. But I don't dismiss grit and grind at, at, at any time because I think, you know, that sheer hustle uh, is is a compliment to the social media. So was there a moment that somebody came and that changed it? Like, was it a local like Houston celebrity that came 
And it was like, now this becomes a place, or this, it just built over time. <laughs> Beyonce. <laughs> Jay Prince. Did, she did come. Jay Prince, perhaps. <laughs> B, B, B came. Oh, I got a funny story about, about Jay, right? Uh, I, pit, I pitched my business plan to Jay. Yeah. Before is before. Yeah. That's a whole nother story though. I, we we, we that, spoke yeah, about the story. Yeah. And that's how that's how that's that's how Jay became Jay and I became friends, right? Yeah. We built a relationship over time. Uh and you know, he would always tell me, Man, I show hate I didn't get in on this. <laughs> <laughs> what do he say when you pitch it to him? Oh man, you know what? It's crazy because when I pitched it to him, it, I mean that's a it's a longer story. But when somebody introduced me to Jay and uh we met, we talked, he came to the building. And I, the, the whole time, my mind is just blown, right? He was like, I'm, yeah, I'm going to meet you. So he met me, uh, met me solo, showed up. I gave him, walked him, walked it through. He liked it. He, he actually liked it a lot. There were some other things that came, uh, that came up during that time that he had to handle. And, you know, we decided to call it a day. But uh, Jay was one of those people that, that when I said I got turned down, yeah. <laughs> that was one of those turndowns. <laughs> so, but, but, but you asked what was that moment, right? I, I, I can't say, you know, a single moment. I can tell you, um, I, I can't tell you one, one big moment, right? And it's going back to that guerrilla tactic, right? And not having, because my goal from day one was to be known as a national uh, eatery, mm-hmm. right? In 2001 and 99, when I wrote the business plan, the goal was to be known nationally, even though that's not a path, there's a path forward today for that, right? Mm-hmm. If, matter of fact, if you out there and you, you're doing something good and you're doing something well and you're not known nationally, you're not known across your state or across the region, then something you're not doing right because it's so much easier and you have so much access to everybody. I mean, social media has just really changed and opened things up to where I don't have to think solely about marketing to the people around the corner, marketing to the people up the street but I can deliberately market to people in Atlanta. I can deliberately market to people in Dallas, San Antonio, uh, so on, so on and so forth. And so, um, but, but, but back then that didn't happen, but I still had the desire to be nationally known and I had to figure it out. So this was one of the things that I did to, to figure it out. Uh, they used to be, you're familiar with Tom Joyner, right? Had the hottest radio show uh, on earth. Right. And I was like, man, I got to get on the Tom Joyner morning show. Got to get on that. I ain't got Tom John to show money, though. So I can't, you know, I can't just write a check. So they did this thing called the Sky Show, where they would travel from city to city. And it was a big deal, right? They go to each city. Everybody would come and, you know, they play it on the radio. And I looked on the thing and they said, he's coming to Houston. I was like, I got to get on the Tom John the morning show. What am I going to do? So I went out and I dialed in Houston is 102, right? So I went out of about 102 neon yellow shirts. With, with our logo on there, got up at four o'clock in the morning to go out to the to the to the Coliseum where they were and passed out 102 shirts. Hey, put this on, put this on, put this on. And if I see you on the inside with the shirt on, free grits on me when we get back to the restaurant. And when we got in the and we got in the auditorium, got in the Coliseum, it was, you know, it's five thousand people in there. But one constant throughout that room with five thousand people is these little yellow specks. And it caught the attention of one of the DJs. Like, what is all these yellow shirts? One of them got it. It was a dance competition. One of them was on the stage with the dance competition. One of the DJs mentioned. Next thing I know, we're back at the restaurant at the end of the show. And all those people who I promised chicken to, they showed up. And, <laughs> that, and, that, and that line was out there. And I was like, we got to feed them. But it paid off. Why? Because one of the guys who was on the, on the show ended up walking in the restaurant, sitting down, eating, eating some chicken and grits. 
Next thing you know, Tuesday morning, he on Monday morning, he on the air. It's like, man, I had the best, J. Anthony Brown, man, I had the best fried chicken in Houston I ever it is. had. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you know, that, that, was, that, was, that was a moment. But it was, it was, yeah, there's a stroke of luck that's involved in that. But, you know, luck ain't worth nothing if you're not prepared for the moment. Yeah. You know, I could have just waited and said, well, you know, when they, if they come, they come. I hope it happened. Yeah. Nah. It's fate. Man, you got you. It's fading and, and busting your ass. Yeah. You know, you got to you got you got to put the work in, and you got to be courageous about it. I have a sticker on my on my in my office, on my de- behind my desk that says, "Be build a courageous company," right? And it just simply means be willing to do the wild thing that will wow folks, right? Those crazy ass ideas that you come up with that you think like. Hey man, I heard EYL come to town. Let me call. Get see if they want to come to breakfast, right? What's gonna hurt? Right? Mm. It, 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 you, you gotta be courageous in, 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 in your efforts as an entrepreneur. Because if you're not, I can guarantee you the result of courageousness won't happen. If you are, then the result can't happen. And one of these things where you gotta create a spectacle at all times. Yeah. Right? Man. Been talking to Grant Cardone, and he was telling us like he had a truck, like an eighteen wheeler. Yeah, and he was saying um, the truck caught on fire, and they called him, and it was like frantic, like you know the truck caught on fire, like everybody's panicking. And he was like, "Tape it, it's good content, <laughs> make a movie out of it." And it's like just the idea of everything is yeah. just has to be done in in grand fashion because people remember myths and people remember stories, and then that hundred shirt in somebody's mind, yeah. they said that's a thousand people. Right. In somebody's mind. Like, you know what I mean? Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Once, once the, the urban legend. Yeah, exactly. Up, once you get you know, that urban it legend, it's like, I, I, it's I, like I, a snowball effect. It was a, it I was wish a, I had known that about when my, when my truck burnt up. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, a, it was the free part too, right? The free yeah. food. Oh, yeah. That yeah. Was, yeah. And I, it was crazy because I just seen Wallop post something about having free, right? He had the TEDx talk and he said, you know, you're new. We can't pay you for it. Let's do it for free. Right. And so he did it for free, not knowing that that TED talk would be the the one that sparks his career. Right. And he's made so much money off of doing that free event. And so now you have created a line of service. Yeah. I'm giving out free chicken. I was wondering, we didn't see um, any yellow shirts at the UIL event. So. <laughs> hey, but I was there though. I was, the there. I, I, I was there. <laughs> yeah. Hey, but look, but that, but that's a philosophy, man, that, 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 that's permeated the rest of the business. Man, yeah. I listen, he, he, here's a little nugget, right? As an entrepreneur, when you have knee jerk reactions, I'm not telling anybody to be undisciplined or irresponsible with their, with their money, right? But when you're too afraid to lose something that you hold, 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 I guarantee you're going to lose something, right? Mm-hmm. So let's take a common occurrence that happens in a restaurant. Uh, I probably shouldn't say this on TV. Well, <laughs> let's take a common occurrence that, that happens in a restaurant, right? Um, you know, when, when, when guests come in, and they are trying to get a little something extra. <laughs> and it's, it's, it, here's a rule. If you if you're in the restaurant and you say I, 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 I ordered this. And I don't see it. I'm not about to. It, we're not about to go back and forth. The most important thing is you wanted grits when you got in the store. And I want to get them to you. We'll worry about whether or not you get me that five dollars and 87 cents later. But right now you need to eat. Mm. Now, you know, somebody come up and say, hey, I want to I want to pay for my grits. But if I withheld that from them and it's disrupted. Why? Because I want to hold on to the grits. 
It's not that serious. It's not. So you're saying like if somebody comes... It's like the muffins, right? Those muffins... Don't don't expound on that. <laughs> <laughs> so when you first, <laughs> but it's like it's like the muffins, right? I, I, you know, I had to graduate from giving away muffins to then I started taking food to the businesses. Yeah, right. So I I went from from taking muffins from businesses. But I had a little map of the of of Midtown. It's six streets this way. It's eight streets this way. And I one one week I go up and down these streets. The next week I go up and down these streets. But they got tired of the muffins, right? The muffins wasn't bringing them in no more. Now, then I started taking them grits, right? And you're like, oh, man, you're giving away food? You got to give them something to get them in the door. Samples. Samples. Samples, samples. Samples, samples. That Yeah. <laughs> Different samples. Different type of samples. Yeah. Um, shout out to Joe. Um, so when you first started, you had a business partner? You know what? So my my my... Angel investor came on, right? That was my promise to him. If you if you do it, then you know you can come on, come aboard. And he was adamant that I'm no, I'm retired. I just want to help you get started. And so he helped me get started. And once it, it was the craziest thing ever, man. Once we got busy, he pulled me outside. We we're on the sidewalk. He said, "All right, you up and running. Put something on paper. Give me mine. Put a little something on top." Call it a day. And his 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 goal was just to see me. He didn't have a, an interest in me. So he never wanted to be like a, a vested partner. He just wanted you to get up and running. Just wanted me get to get his money back. That, it goes back to that conversation we had on the couch, right? Where he just what, goes back to the conversation that 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 his wife had with me in the living room, which was, are you still trying to do that? Let me, let's, let's see if Papa can help you. The rest is history. You know, and, 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 you know, one of the things that, that, that I, and that's, that's why I'm excited about what y'all doing is because y'all creating more ways for people to start investing in businesses, mm-hmm. right? It's one thing to invest in the stock market, but when we move that into investing in entrepreneurship, when we move, man, everybody from Malcolm to Marcus Mosiah Garvey to Martin King talked about the importance of building businesses in our community. Each of them listed that as a cornerstone to liberation from oppression. And, you know, Malcolm went as far as saying, if you are, if you are not building your own factory, creating your product in industry, then you have no reason to sit in front of the white man and ask him for something else or demand or tell him what he's not doing. When you yourself have not built it in your own community when you have the capacity to. Marcus Mosiah Garvey was a great example of it in the, at the early turn of the century, right? Mm-hmm. Where it built everything from Black Star Line to, I mean, his brother is selling stock and shipping, shipping companies. And I mean, it's just amazing, outrageous things that he was doing. He had big vision. You know, Malcolm followed it up by talking about the importance of being involved in industry in your community. Martin, the night before, if you if you if you have when you get a chance, go back and watch the last the last speech of Dr. King. The night before he was murdered. Not 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 a week, not two weeks, not three weeks. Go back and watch the very last speech that Dr. King gave before he stepped on that balcony the next morning. In that speech, he said some of the most courageous things. One, he told black people the power of their money. 
and stopped giving it. He stood on the stage and said, don't spend your money with Coca-Cola. Don't spend your money with heart spread. Don't spend your money. He listed out companies because those companies weren't doing right by the African-American community. Right. But the flip side, the flip side is when he said, not only that, go take your money and put it into Tri-State Bank, which is the black bank that was in Memphis at the time. Mm -hmm. Go out and put buy your insurance with these insurance companies, these black owned insurance companies. Martin was advocating for us building ourselves as a people by opening businesses and by putting our money in our business. That's why you got killed. That's why you got killed. Yeah. Yeah. That's more dangerous than trying to integrate schools. Yeah, it is. It is. Listen, uh, in integration, integration is a valuable tool, right? You know, you have this debate about integration and what it did, mm-hmm. right? You have to see integration as a tool. Imagine it's a hammer. A hammer can build a house. A hammer can tear a house down. Integration is a tool that we have to make a choice on how to use. Integration didn't mean I can go to this restaurant, so I'm no longer going to that restaurant. Integration meant I now have the privilege of not being treated inhumanely by turned away at the door, but I'm still going to build the businesses in my community. Mm-hmm. With me? Yeah. Got yeah. I, and that's why, you know, that's why that's why I'm 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 an entrepreneur that happens to be in the food business. Because I believe entrepreneurship is important for two reasons. One, it is the path to get in the foot of the oppressors, the foot of oppression off of our neck. Two, I believe that people suffer from disease if they're not doing what they're supposed to do, what they're called to do, what they were meant to do, what they were made to do. And I think I think entrepreneurship is our ultimate emulation and imitation of the creator. Think about it. Next to childbirth, entrepreneurship is that you 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 are creating the way the creator did. You're bringing something into existence that did not exist. And the truth be told is it was designed for you to do. And when you don't do it, then you are going against what the universe has you here for. And not only are you going against what the universe has you here for, you de- you you are creating disease in yourself. But in addition to creating diseases in yourself, you are depriving someone else of the gift that you were supposed to bring into the earth. And if you think about it from a standpoint of nature, trees don't inhale what they put out. We breathe that in. Bees don't eat what they pollinate. We eat that. The universe needs them doing their part. The sun doesn't benefit from vitamin D. We do. It puts it out. We receive it. So whatever gift the creator has given you, whatever dream the creator has given you, whatever he's put in your heart and in your head, you have a responsibility to the universe to bring that into fruition. Powerful word. Powerful word. Living in the dream that made Dr. Martin Luther the king. That's the <laughs> That's the only way. So, so let me ask you this. As okay. far as um, the real estate, because yeah. you own a few different locations. So talk about that, how you expand it. And do you own, do you own all of those properties or some of those we're, properties? We're, 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 some of them would do some of them piecing together. Okay. The, go- the goal is to make sure that the whole thing is under one umbrella. But like I said, you know, for those who are trying to decide between leasing and, and, and purchasing, you know, there are locations that are good lease locations, right? You can't turn away a space just because it says uh, it's, it's a lease because it may be on the corner of what night and what had. And it's a thousand cars going this way every hour and a thousand cars going this way an hour. 
And you might just have to take that. Right. But the other part of it, you know, if you if you're in the food business, man, uh, you have the opportunity today. The, the way I look at it is, you know, I have the opportunity to acquire assets. The company acquires assets that the grits can pay for. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the model. Right. Look for what the grits can pay for. We're looking for what the grits can buy, because at the end of the day, when there are no more grits being sold. You know, the dirt's still there. The assets are still there. That's like the um, we in Atlanta. So we had interviewed Kenny Burns a while back. And, you know, he's nightlife champion. He was talking about A.G. Alex was a legendary. Not our guy, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a legendary promoter in Atlanta. And he was yeah. saying he was like the only one that really owned the club compound, like any different thing in the nation. And then I recently heard that he sold compound for a crazy amount of money. And but I say that to say it's like think about how many party promoters and right. how many people had it. But right. they got money, but it was quick money. Right. He actually owned the club. So now when the party's over, right, because the party always ends, mm-hmm. it's still prime real estate location. Right. Now those real estate developers is like, all right, we want this land. Well, how much is it worth to you? Right. So now he probably made more money from the sale of that land than he ever made. He, in nightlife. He, he can he can make money selling the land. He can also make money uh, leasing the land. I had a guy who uh, had a popular restaurant in my first two years of business. He he had a spot that was that was the spot. So the guy and uh, he was sitting in my restaurant one day and he was sitting there eating. And I went over to talk to him and I asked him. I said, he said "What you doing now?" He said, "Eating grits and collecting rent." I was like, well, you, what, you, "What happened to the restaurant?" He was like, "Yeah, I'm out of the restaurant business." See, I did it for 30 years. I'm done. But now I lease the locations that I used to run as a restaurant. So with your real estate. You know the, you, you know the story of uh, of uh, Ray Kroc? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know, so, you know. When you he, can talk about it, though. When he, about when he asked the Harvard, the urban legend or not, you know, sitting around at a dinner with the, the, the Harvard uh, students and asked them what business is he in. And they laughed and said, you're in the burger business. And he explained to them, no, I'm in the real estate business. Right. You know. And 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 whether it's real estate or not, whatever business you're in, you know, gaining assets, right, over liabilities. By the <laughs> See way, how I did it. By the way, you know, it it, it it's crucial. Yeah, I, I was talking about the 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 proximity of the the properties that the other assets that you acquired because I know we got the Breakfast Club, but then across the street, you own is that the is it the nightclub? So the 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 uh, she got the restaurant. Then across the street, I have an office space. Then on the backside, I have uh, I have a bar. And like I said, some of the, it's mix and match. Some of yeah. the stuff is is you know is under lease. Some of the stuff is you know working on the acquisition. Uh, we got man, I, our, our future for acquisition is bigger than our current. So right you know right now what we're working on is bigger than than what we currently do. Yes, yeah, so that's what I'm looking at. I'm like, all right, well. And again, we saw Christina go say, let's own the block. But now, yeah. from a standpoint where you have a couple of different assets on the block, but it speaks to expansion. Right. And so this is another thing that entrepreneurs try to figure out is when is the right time to expand? And so for you, as you're building, you know, bringing the money that the grits is taking in, when did you decide, all right, let's have expansion and have some more of, of these locations? So, man, the right time for expansion. So those are two different things, right? The right time for expansion in your restaurant really depends on where you are in your maturity in restaurant, right? Where you are in your systems, your systems, your systems. 
And that is that is so crucial, whether you whether you expand it or whether uh, or not. It is incredible. I mean, it's incredibly important that you have systems in place that the machine is running the way it's supposed to run. Right. Mm-hmm. You, you, I mean, the, when you turn the call, on, right, that that thing, everything fires and does what it's supposed to do. And that's the way that's the way the business is supposed to be. Now, of course, these are people, you know, it's human. So hands are involved. So you're going to have your hiccups, your ups and downs. But the goal is to have a standard and a set of systems that are in place that allows you to function in what I call my recipe for success. Uh, quality product, quality service all the time. Right. So when folks are talking about, uh, you know, what, what, what how, how do you what advice you have or what uh, how do you, you know, guide people towards success or how did you become successful? Quality product. I, I do not compromise on the quality of product that I offer, I guess. And this is not just about food. This is in any business that you're in. Right. If you're offering a good or a service to the marketplace, you should do your best to make sure that it is of great quality. Going back to the pricing thing, what made me feel comfortable about making those moves that we discussed was the fact that I know that I'm not going to buy a product that's inferior just because it's cheaper. Right. Um, I know that I'm not going to skimp on something. You know, you bring a new product to me. You got to convince me that it is the same or better before you talk to me about the price. Because if you come in just talking about the price, that's not important to me. It is important after I know that it is a quality product. It is important after I know that my guests are not going that it, we're not going to miss a beat, right? Then you got quality service. You got the folks who uh, deliver that product, making sure that they are as pleasant and as positive and as 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 you know as would you say they, everybody was happy, it's happy to be there, <laughs> happy to be there as you possibly can. And the last thing in that is making sure that you do those two things every time you unlock that door. Because if you do the two things once or twice, it's not sufficient. You got to make sure that you are consistent. And if your goal is consistency, it's a good chance you're going to meet. Yeah, so if I'm an entrepreneur about to start in the restaurant business, I'm glad you brought up systems because I want to talk about that. What are some systems that I need to have in place to be successful? Oh, man, systems that you need in place. You need you need standard operating procedures, right? You need everything from scripts to recipes. And when I say scripts, what is the role of what are the positions mm-hmm. and what is the role of each person in that position? Right. I, I mean, down to the 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 repeat verbiage down to and it's not about being uh, uh, unauthentic. You, you know, there's some things that that people who've been with us for a while, they have their own way of adding their flavor to it but the meat got to be there the core got to be there right so um you know making sure that you have your positions mm-hmm. making sure that uh you have the, the 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 details of what each position entails what role they're playing then in the back same thing for the kitchen but that's where uh the recipe comes into place making sure that you have recipes and that they're that they're followed Right. And that's so crucial. Let me tell you how big I am on consistency. Remember, I told you my, my dad fired me. Right. Mm. And I told you I got him back. So my old man, who, <laughs> best chef I ever met. Right. My old man was this. Is how big. This is what I think about consistency and why I think it's important in business. Uh, my, my pops, who was who was a great cook, he was making uh, some dishes for us for us to start serving. We were making these green beans. And one day he changed them up. 
I was like, Pops, those are delicious, but they're not the same flavor profile that the guests had last week. You know, we, it, you know, we can run some specials, but if this is our standard everyday dish, then it has to taste this way every day. Right. Then we got we got into it one day because we, we're a coffee shop. Right. We, we serve all of the, co- the the lattes, the mochas, the caramel macchiatos, all that good stuff. So my pops was making this, this drink one day and uh, this lady came in. She said, I want caramel macchiato, but I'm a white raspberry mocha, but I want him to make it. And me being big on because that's how that's how I cut my teeth in corporate, making sure that we follow the rules, making sure that we follow the steps. So that's what I was trying to bring to my community because I knew in my research that was something we lacked. Me going from restaurant to restaurant to restaurant in you know the late 90s looking at our restaurants and trying to find out how can we bring something new, something better, something different to our community. Because let's just tell the truth about it, right? Restaurants had a bad rap in the African-American community. And I wanted to I wanted to put a dent in that, right? I wanted to be I wanted to be on the front of changing that, at least in my city and, and beyond. So everything that I did for corporate that was A1, I wanted to do it and for my people. And so consistently was part of that. So I told the lady, I said, uh, now anybody can make it. We cook, we had a saying, we cook by uh, process, not by person, right? That means that anybody can make this dish as long as we have the training, we have the 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 procedures in place so she gets her drink and she goes over to the table and she's sitting down and i walk over there with my chest out and i say how it tastes she says it's good and i said uh but what it's good but he makes it better so i, went, I said pop so you changing the <laughs> recipe and he got a little you know a little hot with me he's like i know what i'm doing i was like yeah buddy we follow recipes and uh everybody that's gonna be here has to follow recipes and if they not go follow recipes and everybody can't be here. He said, you fire me. I said, everybody that's going to be here, <laughs> go follow the recipes. And if they not following the recipes, <laughs> can't be they here. can't be here. Now here's, here, now here's, here's, here's where, where you learn. Cause it's one thing to be stern on your rules, but it's also another thing like uh, in King Richard, he said, I wrote the plan, but he was willing to look where the plan could be better, could be enhanced. Mm-hmm. So I took what he was making and sample that I compared to what we were already making. What he was making one. So guess what? That was the new recipe. But everybody had to follow that. Couldn't go back to the old. Mm. Right? Quality product, quality service, and doing that all the time is incredibly important. So how do you keep the culture in the workplace where people are enthusiastic to work and they're happy? And that's a big part of like, you know. I think a successful business It's like to have the, like you go to Apple store and it's like, you know, it's a cult. They yeah. created a great culture. How have you been able to keep that culture going? So if you work for Apple, you, 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 you're like, I work for Apple, right? You know, you work for Apple, you know, you work for a great place. That's the same thing we try to create. I want people to know and understand they're working at a great place. I want people to know and understand. That's why it's hard. That's why it's so incredibly important that you protect the brand, right? Because you don't want it tainted. You want people to understand it. I like when people say, you work at the breakfast club, right? Because that, and they like it when, when, when people say that, right? So that's, that's one way. Let them know that the place that they are a part of has value. Two, you continuously remind them, as I mentioned before, continuously remind them that they are adding value. You know, I, as I mentioned, I, I'm stirred a grid in a minute. They do it. 
And so I continue to remind them that it's their work that the people are lining up three blocks to see. Mm-hmm. Right. I continue to remind them that, you know, I think it's important that you, your team understands how this works. When you when you get your paycheck on Fridays, it's not coming out of your pocket. Right. It's coming out of what you've produced that goes to the bank that then filters into. So I communicate to my team that, hey, guys, these people are walking through these doors. They help us pay our rent. They help us pay our mortgage. They help us put food on our table. And when you communicate in that in that language, I think it resonates differently. So one, make them understand that they're part of something good Two, make them understand that they are adding value to this good thing. Three, help them to understand that, ah, this is how we actually live. And I think those things uh, add to um, that, that culture that you describe. And you got to be deliberate about it. You know, you have to be intentional about it. You can't. I, I, I caution anybody that that wants to start their business. And I know it's kind of a popular thing, but I caution anybody that wants to start their business and want to hurry up and be out of there. Yeah, I only spend a little time in my business. I'm, you know, it, if you have not made it and molded it the way it needs to be, then it it could be. Uh, you said that generously it could be a recipe for 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 disaster. So, in in terms of no pun intended, no, no, no. In terms of the name, that, huh? um, obviously the '80s movie, The Breakfast Club. Oh, what you know about that? Amazing. <laughs> we got the Breakfast Club, obviously the Hall of Fame radio show. And there's a bunch of cities that have a breakfast club. So what was that trademarking process like for you? Well, uh, there's not a bunch of cities that have a yeah, breakfast club. Yeah, well, Atlanta, Atlanta. Well, Atlanta. No, 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 no. They don't have the no, breakfast no, no, club. No, 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 no. It's something similar to the no, name. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> he missed that. He missed that conversation. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, the <laughs> breakfast club trademark belongs to... 3711 Travis Marcus Davis right. and nobody else in the country. Mm-hmm. Period. Point blank. Got you. <laughs> and if anyone else tries to use it, that's where it belongs. And it, but it's important but, to break it because it's for food. Right. Like the Breakfast right. Club, the radio show, that's for entertainment. Right. And that's yeah. for so in intellectual properties, you do have the you do have the ability to use it in a particular class, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's the other thing you got to show use. But you do have the ability to use things in a in a in a, in a particular class. And that can make a difference. But all these other little plays on, I changed it a little bit. That's that's McDonald's McDowell's. That's that's <laughs> that's not the real world. Well, break that right? down. Could you have mentioned that? Well, yeah, right. McDonald's so coming McDowell. to America was a great intellectual properties yes. uh, uh, lesson. Right. Because he it, it, it gave people the, the idea that if you change it just a little bit, then you're not infringing. Uh, the rule in 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 uh, trademark is uh, opportunity for confusion. Right. Mm-hmm. The, is there an opportunity for this to be confused with that? And if it is, then the one that holds the mark and the one that started it is the one that is entitled to it. Right. So the golden arches versus the golden arcs. Yeah. That, 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 that didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> that, that didn't work. That, man, that, 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 you know, intellectual property is, 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 is a big deal because it is someone's, it's just that. It's someone's property mm-hmm. and it is property of their intellect. It is property of their thought process. Yes, very important to know that because if not, you can get yourself in some deep water you, trying you, to you can get yourself finagle in, a system. Well, one, you can get yourself in deep water for, for trying to finagle a system, but two, you can miss out on an opportunity if you don't protect yourself, hmm. right? So, you know, protecting yourself on the front side 
is 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 important. I mean, it's a great name. It's one of these things. When the, I don't know if the movie was the first thing that ever said Breakfast Club. Yeah. But the radio, obviously, that helped out a lot, too, because it's like yeah. you've been around before the radio show. Yeah, we were. But I'm assuming yeah. that the radio show has actually helped you in a way. I think we helped them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's all. Yeah. Very important. But the more people are saying the name, it's yeah. brand recognition. Yeah. yeah. yeah it, so it's it, like it, the Breakfast it, Club. It is brand like, recognition. Okay, Breakfast yeah. Club. That makes sense because yeah. now this is actually a restaurant. Right. That serves breakfast. Right, exactly. Let's talk about the menu. Um, we talked to a, yeah. a restaurant owner before, and he said his, his philosophy is short menus, seven items. Okay. No more. And he had reason behind that. What's your thought process on menus? Like, how do you say, okay, this is enough items, this is too many items? This is- yeah, I, I, I may not have the seven rule, but I, I, I don't believe in, in big, complex menus. I believe in keeping menus uh, simple. I believe in keeping menus uh, where they can they can overlap. Uh, I think that's important. Well, menus overlapping. Like if you have in, in restaurant, but we, hey, y'all get y'all getting restaurant one on one right here. Y'all need to come sign up for my class. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it, look, if you don't have if you don't have things that overlap, then you know you're doing yourself a disservice, right? So if you have one product that can be used in three different things, then it's more advantageous for you. Right. So that's like. So on the ham, example. on the ham, we use it for the breakfast special. On the ham, we use it for a sandwich. On the ham, we use it for an omelet. So we're not buying ham just for one plate. Yeah. Right. So that that's that's one thing. Two, the more the bigger your menu is and the more complex it is, then the bigger uh, and more complex your kitchen is going to be. Hmm. Right. And this just this just my 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 belief, my rule, right? If you want to be successful, you have to find areas where you minimize the confusion and you minimize the the chaos. Uh, and so, the simpler you you make the menu, then man, I can tell you this a chain right now that you know doing a couple hundred million dollars, and they ain't got but four items, mm. and all of them are chicken strips. What, what chain is hey, that? Hey, you can figure the rest out. Chick Fil A? No, uh-uh. no, they got damn money. Chicken strips? <laughs> oh, it's all chicken. Look, look, what what does Canes have? What does Canes serve? Canes? Oh, y'all don't have a Canes? No, we not. Yeah, no. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, all right, all right. Yeah. All right. But that, that that's that's what they serve. Chicken. But, but does that tempt you? Because I'm thinking, obviously, the Breakfast Club. Most people are gonna frequent it in the hours of yeah, usually breakfast, right, and on the weekends. Right. But do you, I mean, maybe you did or didn't. Did you say to yourself, maybe I should expand the menu to have more people come in in the evening? I lie, like when we saw, like people only went to IHOP for breakfast until they started serving burgers. And I was like, oh, I can go there midday or for dinner. Is that something that you had to like confront? Like I, maybe I should expand the menu just a bit to have more customers come in the evening flow? Well, for for me, I, I, I'm not necessarily believing in expanding the menu just to get more people in, right? Because mm-hmm. one, more people doesn't always, it, it may mean more revenue, doesn't always mean more profit, mm-hmm. right? Uh, more people doesn't always mean, uh, uh, what, what, more people can be more problems too, right? True. So, um, the, the, and it's not to say that we won't ever, but the idea of why this was a breakfast lunch concept yeah. was because I wanted to keep it in two day parts. I wanted a tight ship run from seven in the morning to two in the afternoon and call it a day. Not call it a day because the work is never done, right? right. Call it a day like we ain't got nothing else to do. Call it a day in terms of 
operations in terms of service. Does it mean that we'll never open a night? I, I, you know, I, who, who knows? Who knows the future? But it won't be simply because, you know, we can get a, f- a few more dollars. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I, th- I think I, my personal opinion has to be more to it uh, than that. How many days are you open? We open seven days a week. Seven days a week. Monday through Monday through Friday, seven to two. Uh, Saturday and Sunday, uh, H2. That's at the breakfast club. You know, uh, my Caribbean restaurant is open uh, seven days a week, lunch and dinner. Uh, culture, my downtown restaurant is open uh, five days a week. And, you know, the bar, yeah, does bar things. <laughs> <laughs> so for, for the breakfast club specifically, you know, most people would think that during the week is not a good time because who's going to brunch on Wednesday or Thursday? See, you, 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 you said two different things. You said going to brunch. I opened the breakfast club for breakfast. Ah, you get it? So my, d- during the week, in 2001, when we opened, breakfast, brunch wasn't the sexy day part that it is now. Mm-hmm. You didn't have all these places, you know, booming on Sundays. Or, Lounges and you, 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 you things you, of that it, nature. This, this, it, it wasn't happening, right? Uh, matter of fact, for the big boys, breakfast was an afterthought, right? You have you have you know a big a big company. They serve breakfast just as a way to f- make a few extra pennies because mm-hmm. we already got to be there during the prep time anyway, and we can make a few extra extra dollars. Um, and then in the man, one one of the reasons. So I, I I'm sorry, I failed to give my definition of entrepreneurship, which is filling a void in the marketplace that the marketplace is calling for consciously or subconsciously. That's 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 the definition of entrepreneurship, looking at what the marketplace has, what it needs, what's missing. How do you fill that void? And in 2001 or in 99, when I wrote this business plan, you can count breakfast restaurants in in the in Midtown, in my city and across the country. You can count them on one hand. Right. You didn't have a lot of places other than your big boys like your IHOPs and your dentists. You didn't have a lot of places that just featured. Breakfast, not soul breakfast, featured breakfast. So, you know, in, in 99, the the you know, the, the the breakfast market was wide open and I saw that there was opportunity to fill the void. And, you know, if you look today, man, look, <clears throat> I know this may sound a little strange in 2022, but you'd be hard pressed to find a fish and a grit and a wing and a waffle on one menu across the country. In 2001. Right. Mm -hmm. You'd be hard, let alone to find it on a breakfast menu. And so here in 2020, that's why when you say brunch today, those dishes have become very popular. And the brunch thing has become wildly popular. Now, I'm going to take a little credit because, you know, I like to think we have something to do with that. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I mean, truth is true. Right. If if it wasn't happening before you start doing it and then you start doing it and then it's happening, then I think, uh, you know, but no, I, I've, I've seen a, I've seen a number of people. I'm an entrepreneur, man. And I, 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 I get inspired when people are inspired. Right. And I've I've had people come to me and tell me, man, you inspired me to, to open my it's a brother here doing well. Said, you inspired me to open my business, open my restaurant. And, still. and uh, you know, it's it's it, you know, it's it, it, it's a reality. But, you know, that uh, I, I'm, all, I'm and as much as I am uh, crazy about that, I'm more inspired when I when I discovered that as an entrepreneur in the restaurant business, 
I've inspired people who weren't in the restaurant business. So when the first time I had, you know, uh, an attorney come up to me and say, man, I want you, you inspired me to open my practice or a dentist or a, a doctor. I'm like, how did how did that happen? I say, of grits, you have a terminal degree. How does that? And I came to realize this concept of uh, see, touch, feel, right? It is necessary for a lot of folks to see it in order that they believe it, to touch it and they believe it. You know, we I know people like to, you know, like to dump on Thomas and say that he was a doubter, right? But Thomas didn't say he was a doubter. He said, I'm going to believe it if I touch it. And the truth be told, the majority of people have Thomas faith. Mm-hmm. They need to be able to touch it before they believe. And so I'm grateful to have been in the space for the last two decades that people can touch entrepreneurship and be inspired to go out and do what they've been called to do. So what's what's next for you? What's what's your next vision on the on the five year horizon, ten year horizon? Man, I going back to 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 seeing and touching, and and I, I'm a I'm I believe that this this entrepreneurship is important, but I believe that in this food game, as African Americans, the window of opportunity is so wide, right? If you look at how much participation we have in the food business compared to how much we have in terms of ownership, it pales. So we're actually leaving the bag on the table in this era of going to get the bag. And so my goal is in the next few years is one, to continue to inspire entrepreneurs to go into business, to open their restaurants. Um, my goal is to, to, to mentor uh, uh, and consult restaurant tours. Alex gonna be my first my first client. <laughs> uh, I, I want to see us successful in the space. I believe that um, the food industry is an untapped market for African Americans. We're talking about everything from restaurants. And I'm not just just talking about restaurants. We're talking about the butcher, the baker, and the hot sauce maker. We're talking about everything from. Uh, Inside the restaurant with plates and forks to purveyors to the people who sell and grow the products. We're talking about retail. Uh, I mean, think about it, brother. We don't have. If you're talking about restaurant, we don't have national chains African-American owned. Right. Name, 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 name one concept that stretches across the country. Yeah, well, we right. just interviewed Pinky from Slutty Vegan. Man, I'm so happy for her, man. I'm so I'm I'm so excited for her because it means the train is moving, mm-hmm. right? But we're in 2022, and we don't have one national brand. Go in the grocery store, name me a national brand, black owned. I can show you where people have you know been culture vultures. I can show you where people have profited off of our name and our likeness. From Uncle Ben to Angel Mama. But we're not selling food off shelves. But we're buying a lot of it. So my goal in the next five years is to get into those spaces and operate and encourage others to get in those spaces and operate. We need a hospitality company that stretches across a region, stretches across a country. And whether I'm the person to do it or whether it's the next person to do it, I cannot. We just need those dollars circulating in our community. 
I agree. Yeah. I agree. Gotta happen. So you actually going to be teaching people? Man, I am. I, you know, I've, I've come to a, a conclusion that the words that I share and the work that I do is so important. We'll go back to how this started. One, the barrier to entry in restaurant is so low, right? It's not like, you know, you can, can't go be a lawyer tomorrow, right? You can't go be a doctor tomorrow, but you can go, if you want to, you can go open a restaurant tomorrow, right? And because of how sexy it is, how glamorous it is, a lot of people want to do it. Uh, and I think that there's a space for, well, I know there's a space. I get emails every day. I get inboxed all the time. So I believe there is a space uh, for folks to to come and learn how to successfully run a restaurant. So it's going to start off with mentoring and then it's going to move into something a little bit more because I think consulting is, is incredibly important. And as African-Americans, we have to begin to believe in professional services and going out and getting the professional services that we need in order to be successful. We can't be afraid of that. Very important. Mentorship, extremely important. And we, we fail because we have a lack of knowledge a lot of times. And yeah. that knowledge, like you said, there's really no school for this. Even like if you're trying to start a podcast, right? Like there's no school for that. So you either make a lot of mistakes and luckily you, you can make it through or right. you find some people that have already done it and they can help you. And same thing with the restaurant industry, same thing with yeah. trucking, any type of industry you could think of. So it's extremely important for people to seek out those people that have already had success and already went through those mistakes right. because they can help you avoid them. Man, you, 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 there's a blessing in learning from somebody else's success and somebody else's failure. Yeah. Right. I mean, that, 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 and I don't even call it failure. You know, you know, the, 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 the mistakes that they may have made or, you know, the drop ball or what have you. But I look, I, there's some folks that came before me that, I give homage to, right? That I, I, and other people don't see it that way. But if I didn't learn from their mistake, then I don't get to be where I am today. Yeah. It expedites so, your growth. Huh? I said it'll expedite your growth. Oh, without a doubt, man. Yeah. Without, no question asked. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate you, brother. Thank you for coming. Man, I appreciate you. Definitely y'all. got it. When we go back to Houston, <laughs> shall be back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you got, you got, you got to come on back. Come on back and. Uh, uh, bring the crew and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll you know, we'll, 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 uh, oh, speaking of the crew. So one, one more nugget. So I, I, a couple of things I was asked and I want to make sure we get these out. One was about, uh, about, about food time, right? About, Hey man, how do you get the food out? So expeditiously. Expeditiously. <laughs> Shout out to Tim. <laughs> Shout out to Tim. Look, 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 systems. Systems are incredibly important. And I, I, I have a I have a restaurant that we acquired just based on me being able to see that hey this is a great concept it just needs some systems in place and I give you an example right so the the the, the you order a dish the the a shrimp dish right and the, what they were doing was they were peeling the shrimp when you order it they were slicing the vegetables when you order it they were making the sauce when you order it so your food took forty five minutes. Right. So our goal was to go and okay, well, what do we what do we take the steps, right? We pre-peel, we pre-season, we pre-slice, we and this is all fresh. We're just doing these steps ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And 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 then you get to a point where you have to know you have an idea of what you're gonna serve that day. I know if the line is three blocks long about how much chicken we're gonna sell <laughs> every hour. Mm-hmm. So we keep frying, right? Now here's the kicker to that. Going back to that, not being willing to lose, 
in order to win. If going back to quality, if I fry the chicken and they don't order it and it goes over my whole time, I got to have the courage to pull it. A lot of times entrepreneurs, particularly in the restaurant business, they want to sell it to you anyway because mm. they don't want to lose that five dollars. Not understanding that you've already lost that five dollars because you put in for your product in front of your guests. So systems, systems, systems. And the last one is, you know, the presence of the, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in my store a lot, not because I have to be, but because I want to be. I like going to work. What's the saying? If you love what you do, it's not really work. I love going to work. I love creating places where people fellowship and I love being there with them. But there's also something that I that I found uh, as a business term that makes this relevant, makes this important. If you go, I went to buy a piece of property. Right. And this first piece of property I ever bought and the bank asked me it was it was in a complex. It was a condo. The bank asked me, what is the owner occupancy rate in this complex? And I didn't understand it. And I didn't understand why they were asking. So I asked, what does this mean and why are you asking? He said, well, the bank says that the property value is a little bit higher if the owner is present. And that's the philosophy that I keep in my business. I go to work because it adds value to the guests. It adds value to my team. It adds value to my community. Mm. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. A whole lot of game. Thank you. Appreciate you, brother. Man, like I, I said, we, you, we come to Houston. We got to, we definitely gonna go patronize the restaurant, but we got to do something. We got to, you know, do an event or get something. You, come to Houston. We got to get you an Astro yeah, shirt. Come That's on, Marcus. We, we spoke about this. We hey, man, no start. <laughs> you don't want to talk about them Yankees. Don't have me break <laughs> out the trash listen, cans, listen, baby. Listen, I will listen. bang these trash cans and we will knock some home runs we, out the park. We're not going to forgive you for 2017. <laughs> hey, man, y'all got to get over that, brother. We can't. We y'all can. got to get over that. This year. What? Hey. This year. What? Two things. One. The trash cans don't explain how we beat y'all in y'all part. That's one. That's true. Yeah. Two. Didn't didn't a little letter just come out about y'all cheating in the same year? A legend. Yeah, we that, was a legend. that was a legend. <laughs> that was a legend. That was a legend. Ours was a legend. There's a difference. Shout out to the Yankees. Most the most championships. With they, they, with they cheating, but the most championships in sports history. Uh, man, look. Look, baseball is a game of cheating. It's about <laughs> cheats. Who's the a better cheater? Well, we cheating to the first place right now, son. <laughs> hey, boy, Alvarez is yeah, that boy looking nasty. Yeah, he's second in home runs to judge. So oh, this boy, yeah. <laughs> the Bronx Bombers. Yeah, um, they wasn't bombing when they put that no hit on them the other day, though. All right, I'm done. <laughs> Sure, housekeeping items. Yeah, shout out to everybody on EYL University, all our earners, everybody that's supporting the merch, all our patrons on Patreon. Love is love. You know, we can't do this without you. It was built for you. Uh, so keep supporting, keep telling a friend to tell a friend. That's how we build community. Love is love. And shout out to everybody in Houston. Shout out to my girl Jazz. Shout out to Slim Thugger. Ah. Shout out to Don Key, Toby, uh, Ian Dunlap, of course. Of course. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, every time we go to H-Town, it's always love out there. We did a show out there. It was packed, 2,600 people. Um, so, Man, because the show was fire. Thank you. Man, I was that. I mean, I was in there just, I was like, I was, I, I was, man, I was, I was happy. I was excited. Slim has a special place in the Breakfast Club's history, man. Oh, yeah? Oh, God, yes. Good dude. Man, in our first year or two of business, when we're not popular, we're not hot, we're not famous, guess who comes two, three times a week? Slim and the crew. And so much so that we would look for, hey, Slim, 
Man, Slim need to come on here. We got rent. We got rent to do. <laughs> but Slim, C Note, Biden Boys, they brought Bun in, right? Shout out to Bun. And you know the rest was the rest was history. Yeah, Slim, 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 Slim. You got to get a, a dish name now to him. Yeah, we got to figure that out. And of, <laughs> of course, Chris Senegal too, and of Mike course, Brown. Course, yeah. yeah, a lot of solid guys out there in Houston, man. Um, real love every time we get we get a chance to go to Houston. So. Shout out to Houston, man. Love is love. See you guys next week. Peace. My graduates from my school being Forbes. Backdrop. Backdrop. (laughs) A mic drop. Backdrop. Backdrop. Hennessy celebrates those who. 